Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell. And there's no one there to... What's up, freaks? It's got some Rocket Man stuck in my mind. I don't know why we're focusing on this guy so much. But Elon Week rolls on. Just recorded an epic podcast with our very good friend, Whitney Webb. She's back on the show. Talk about a plethora of things. The the topic of choice, the topic du jour, uh, Bitcoin under attack. How are they going to attack Bitcoin in just common sense in general? And who is they in the World Economic Forum, the Davos crew, the Bilderberg crew? What is their plan? How are they going to attack it? Cyber attacks, climate, CBDCs, all discussed in this episode. You guys are about to hear it. I hope you enjoy it. This rip was brought to you by our good friends, the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App sell you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats, if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 sats. I'm going to satshay. Kenny Powers, you need to satshay out of here. Take your sats and walk away. Why are we saying sats? Because sats are the standard. We're shifting the bad mental frameworks of Unipies. There's 100 million Satoshis in a Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a fraction of Bitcoin. You stack whole sats. Cash App lets you do that. You can buy a daily, weekly, bi-weekly. You can DCA in the sats. You can set it and forget it. You can get your cash card. Accept it anywhere. Visa's accepted. Sometimes they'll let you get sats back. You, you put your sats back boost on. You get sats back. They got stonks if you want them. Cash App can be your bank account. They're offering accounting numbers and routing numbers. So you can get your paychecks direct deposited into the app. Well, it's a bunch of other things. You can send Bitcoin sats, excuse me, to other Cash App users using the cash tag. Incredible things. Incredible things. If you haven't downloaded uh, the Cash App yet, make sure you do so using the code stacking sats. It's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. <laughs> Owls Lacrosse. This rip is also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here to bring you freaks. You American freaks too. This is available to you American freaks. Uh, the ability to use your Bitcoin as collateral so you can get liquidity. Lend at Hoddle Hoddle is a new non-custodial Bitcoin back lending platform. It allows peer-to-peer lending and borrowing between users globally, anonymously, and on your own terms. No KYC, no AML. And the best part is they leverage Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties to allow you to hold one key. Your counterparty holds one key. Hoddle Hoddle holds the other key. When you go, you put your Bitcoin into this multi-sig escrow wallet uh, as collateral. You get stable coins in return. Uh, again, you always have that key so you can monitor the sats in that multi-sig wallet to make sure that they're not being rehypothecated. Again, if you're short funds, you don't need to sell your Bitcoins. Get some liquidity by borrowing using your Bitcoin as collateral. You don't need to entrust anybody. If you have any stable coins, you want to enter the other side of that marketplace, you can put them up uh, to be lent out and get some yield on that. So go create your own offers and set your own terms today at lend.hodlhodl.com. That's lend, L-E-N-D dot hodlhodl, H-O-D-L, H-O-D-L dot com, C-O-M. Hodlhodl, great products. Again, if you're a U.S. citizen, this is available to you because it's non-custodial. So you can actually leverage this. It's pretty beautiful. Unfortunately, you can't leverage your other ones because... Our regulatory system here is pretty, pretty stringent, strict. Are you free? Probably not. 
strip is also brought to you by our good friends at compass mining compass mining is uh, trying to make it so individuals, more individuals can get into mining the way they do that. So you go to compassmining.io, you can buy a miner model. They just signed a big deal with MicroBT to get some of their what's miners. You pick out a, a what's miner, or it doesn't have to be a what's miner. They have uh, Bitmain as well, I'm sure others. Uh, you pick a miner, you buy it. And then on top of that, they have hosting facilities with competitive power rates. So you pick a hosting facility that you're comfortable with at an electricity price that you're comfortable with. And Compass Mining takes care of it from there. They get your miner. They plug it in at the hosting facility and they start streaming sats to a wallet of your choice. Pretty beautiful. Trying to get more individuals into the mining game to help distribute the ownership of hash rate between more individuals around the world. Let's go check them out. Compassmining.io. C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. Compassmining.io. Last but not least, this rip is brought to you by Brains. To get that Edward Sinquesto. got the whip what we're here to talk about today is brains os plus manager which is a if you're running a large mining operation and your miners have brains os plus firmware on them brains has produced a, a management software for you an online platform that enables miners to remotely monitor manage all their asics running brains os plus firmware this helps you improve uptime and keep the farms running optimally without the hassle of needing to be on site 24 7 Manager is free for all Brains OS Plus firmware runners. Um, so if you're running Brains OS Plus on your miners, this is free for you. Uh, and you can connect to a limited number of devices. This is very important. Security and efficiency are top priorities for this product. Uh, it uses Strata V2 for smaller and less frequent data transfers with all ASIC configuration and telemetry data being sent via encrypted connections, which protect against eavesdropping a man in the middle attacks. Don't let people jack your hash rate. Make sure you're using Strata V2 in this encrypted data transfer. Pretty huge for the mining industry. For details on the manager and how to set it up with your mining operation, go to Brains, that's B-R-A-I-I-N-S dot com slash blog, and check out the Brains OS Plus Manager Launch article. Again, it's Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S dot com. Go to their blog page, Brains OS Plus Manager Launch article. Again, again, Slush Pool is coming out with an update soon. Hasn't launched just yet, but it's going to include an ultra-flexible payout system, customizable mining reward splitting, and best of all, dark theme. For those of you with bad eyesight and your eyes that hurt from from the light. Ooh, you need dark theme. It's coming. It's coming. Follow slush underscore pool on Twitter to see the announcement when the pool update goes live. Edward, here's a Marty whip to you. Get your whip hot and when what's minor. Enjoy this rip, freaks. And go support Whitney Webb. She has a BTC pay server, unlimitedhangout.com. Um... Go support her with sets. She's an independent journalist doing the work that uh, many feckless blue checkmark journalists will not do because they're propaganda arms of the mainstream media or the mainstream media, the, pro- the propaganda arms of like the political expert class. They don't really do hard journalism anymore. Whitney, in my opinion, is somebody doing very hard journalism and uh, she's getting deplatformed. She got deplatformed for Patreon. She's under the impression she's going to get kicked off Twitter. Um, Go support her with Bitcoin. We're Bitcoiners here. I know a lot of you guys listen to that. Unlimitedhangout.com uh, support page. You can you can send her some Bitcoin. Um, what else do we got? And if you guys are liking this, like, subscribe, share, rate, review. Maybe we'll get the platform too. Luckily, we have Bitcoin set up as well. Enjoy. Dickie!
You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Here, and we're recording. Parenting is the ultimate pushback against this weird society that we find ourselves in right now. It's very counterculture. Yeah, well, this whole thing about, you know, you need to have less kids, you need to uh, eat worms uh, and cockroaches and stuff like this, you know, that whole push, um, you know, resisting that, I think, by having uh, kids and families, you know, sticking it to the depopulation billionaires. I do think that's a form of resistance. At least I think that uh, personally, but not everyone can do it. Obviously, you have to have a partner. You have to be able to procreate. You know, there's a lot of things that that are involved, financial resources, kids aren't cheap, but you know, if you can, it's definitely um, a way to resist the agenda for sure. And, and raise kids that are aware of a lot of the stuff going on and don't, uh, you know, don't uh, believe the propaganda straight away. You know, um, I think parenting is really important um, and gets overlooked a lot. Anyway, that's probably not what people expected me to be on the stream to talk about. Yeah, but, but <laughs> there are important things to talk about. We were uh, for any of you freaks. You're basically just hopping into in the middle of a conversation when you are having better kids. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, no, it is counterculture. It is crazy that uh, a lot of people in the expert class are pushing people to not have kids. And I'm a millennial. Like a lot of people in my generation are got complacent. Not having kids. Yeah. Um, well, I think that a lot of that's the financial shit too. You know, yeah. the fact that you know uh, millennials. Well, I'm also one. I'm 31. We were dealt a really crappy hand um, and a lot of people can't, um, you know, do their best. But having kids, especially in the States, is really expensive. Um, when I worked at Mint Press, my salary would not have allowed me to raise a kid unless I was living in Chile, where I, you know, live until relatively recently. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's complicated stuff. But, you know, if you can do it, it's definitely, uh, you know, something to consider, I think. But, you know, just because not just because it'll make Bill Gates mad, you know. <laughs> well, Whitney, but, this, this is part oh, of the reason why we Bitcoin. Bitcoin pointers uh, <laughs> will say that uh, one of the reasons that people are having less kids is because you have both parents being forced into the workforce on the hamster wheel, working paycheck to paycheck because the central banks and the governments are just inflating away money. So people literally cannot save and accumulate capital to to right run. well apart from that too in the u.s it's like the only country where you can't be get, uh, get guaranteed paid maternity leave if you're a woman um so i mean that's pretty wild that actually happened to me uh my kid uh when i had my kid i only had two weeks off because i couldn't afford uh to go a whole month without work at the time so pretty wild uh, a lot of things uh stacking against it but um you know i think it's definitely um important stuff and sorry if i sound really nasally i've been uh, a little sick um so sorry in advance you sound fine, you sound fine. all right <laughs> i guess i sound more nasally to me you know how you always sound weird when you hear yourself compared to how other people hear you huh. yeah but so where should we start last last time we talked we were talking about cyber attacks to be on the lookout for that seems like they're in the news recently 
Yeah. Oh, there's, uh, there's more. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Ireland's, uh, health system, their IT was taken down today in another ransomware cyber attack. And, um, allegedly after the colonial pipeline one, Samsung said their European branch was also hit, um, allegedly by the same group that hit colonial pipeline. But, you know, there's a lot of really, well, we'll get into it. There's a lot of fuckery with this whole, uh, narrative and the people that stand to benefit are the ones basically speaking for the supposed hackers and stuff like this. Um, so it's really uh, nuts and there's a lot more going on. So uh, wherever you'd like to start. Yeah. So let's start with ransomware. I mean, is I've wrote a newsletter earlier this week talking about the colonial pipeline ransomware attack and saying, hey, this is probably an attack vector for Bitcoin. Ransomware obviously is looking to get paid out in Bitcoin or Monero and um, that Bitcoin is not enabling the ransomware attack, or maybe it is enabling to an extent, but the the hackers are using Bitcoin because it's uh, uncensorable. Like it's peer-to-peer cash. And right. So it looks like an attack vector for Bitcoin. Um, specific- yeah, I agree. Well, before this, uh, you and I were talking uh, about how this was going to happen, basically. Um, because what's interesting is that now all the attacks are being ransomware. And basically what they're going to do is say, um, the only way we can stop ransomware attacks is by taking away the incentive, i.e. the money. So we have to eliminate the ability for people to have untraceable uh, you know, funds transferred to them in these ransomware attacks, whatever that may be. So yeah, it's definitely going to be used for regulated, uh, a push for regulation. And at the same time, we're seeing the whole climate narrative being used for the same purpose, really. Um, they're going to come at it from both sides. If you... Um, Uh, So Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum guy, right, at the beginning of the year before this year's Davos, basically laid out um, what's going to happen in the year. And this is back in January, right? And he was saying... COVID is going to be uh, not going to be a concern anymore. This is when we need to start moving on from COVID. We need to start tackling climate change. And then he said, by the end of the year, everyone's focus, like it's on COVID now, will be on climate change. And then a few months after you have Bill Gates do his uh, media blitz, not on pandemics this time, but on climate, uh, right? And you're starting to hear it a lot more. And then Project Veritas exposed that CNN technical director as saying climate change after COVID. I mean, this should be, um, if you're not, I mean, it, 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 if you're paying attention, it's clearly pretty coordinated. Yeah, so we should listen to what, right. So we should listen to what Schwab says on that front. But Schwab also says, and he said this also last year, that there's going to be a new cyber pandemic, a pandemic of cyber attacks, i.e. multiple cascading cyber attacks um, that are going to make COVID look like nothing. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and he said this um, sort of, he said this in last July for the first time. And that was when the World Economic Forum was hosting a simulation called Cyber Polygon, uh, which uh, was in 2020, but they're gonna be repeating it this year as well, apparently also in July. Uh, their main partner is, is a subsidiary of Russia's uh, largest bank, Spurbank, that uh, just put out Spurcoin, their uh, bank-backed uh, stable coin. So they definitely stand to benefit 
you know, from chaos in the financial system, which is specifically what a lot of the stuff um, that the WEF is talking about focuses on. It focuses on cyber attacks taking down the financial system, but not at first about these cascading cyber attacks going around different sectors and eventually collapsing the financial system. That's the narrative um, they've set up and they have a bunch of different bodies involved in this and gaming this out. So they have Cyber Polygon, I already mentioned, which is the World Economic Forum. Uh, you have another World Economic uh, Forum cyber initiative with the Carnegie Endowment for Peace uh, or for International Peace talking about how the only way to prevent this alleged uh, imminent cyber attack that's going to collapse the financial system is to merge private banks, Wall Street banks with the people supposedly responsible for regula regulating them in the government. So public-private cooperation partnership like the WEF loves to promote, but they say they go even further and they say, combine those two, once you fuse those two, merge them with intelligence agencies. So intelligence agencies have access to all the data and so they can find the cyber attackers right away. So they're basically saying, let's combine JP Morgan with uh, the SEC and the CIA and merge it all together and that's gonna solve the problem. But it's obviously, you know, this is already in the cards. So this is gonna be the solution they pitch um, when this cyber attack takes place. And what's important here is that this WEF Carnegie thing isn't just those two groups gaming it out. You have uh, the Federal Reserve is involved in writing this document. You have the, uh, F the uh, Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, FSISAC, which is basically all the uh, chief information security officers of the biggest private banks and insurance companies in the United States involved in this. You have uh, the Bank of England, you have central banks and other countries involved. Uh, you have SWIFT involved. I mean, a lot of the big players are, are involved with this, and that should be really alarming. And that report came out last November, warning of this imminent wave of cyber attacks. A month later, you have solar winds, which was not actually investigated. Um, the people that discovered solar winds was the CIA firm called Cybersecurity firm called FireEye. FireEye actually had to come out and issue a statement on their website trying to distance themselves from the CIA, because even mainstream media talked about how close closely they work uh, with the CIA and they were seated and only really exist because of NQTEL uh, funding and all of this stuff. And then you have intelligence agencies, the same intelligence agencies that back FireEye saying, oh, it was likely Russian in origin, but they never provide evidence to that fact. And then that just becomes the mainstream uh, narrative like that and, and runs through. And I actually did a report for those that are interested to go and see it, that one of the most likely culprits of the solar winds hack was actually, you can tie it back to Isabel Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell's uh, sister through a couple different networks and basically the network that she is uh, steeped in, uh, which is sort of this, um, I guess, uh, struggling to think of the right words to describe it. It's sort of like a nexus between Silicon Valley and Israel's uh, cyber intelligence apparatus, because basically Israel's tech uh, sector, the private tech sector and its military intelligence uh, cyber units are essentially fused and even Israeli media and uh, officials admit this. So this isn't like conjecture on, on my part. And you have uh, neocon billionaires like Paul Singer, uh, who were ultra Zionist, uh, basically saying that it, it uh, funding and making it policy to have a lot of these big Silicon Valley companies hire all these ex Unit 8200 guys from Israel as a way to ever prevent uh, you, the people in the United States from meaningly adopting the boycott, divest sanctions movement. 
um, in support of Palestine. So um, there's a lot of really crazy stuff just going on in, in the tech sector in general, but you know, solar winds wasn't meaningly investigated. Um, I'd encourage you to go compare the intelligence community statement of likely Russian in origin with no evidence in, in my article and reach your own conclusions because I actually provide sources. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, and then aside from that, we have this recent thing with the colonial uh, pipeline hack, which is really interesting because um, not long before this hack, Colonial uh, was under federal investigation for what is likely to be recognized as the worst uh, pipeline spill in the United States ever. It got very little mainstream uh, attention, really a blackout of it. Um, I only really know of a, a really one person, independent media that covered it um, covered it himself. I might be mispronouncing his last name, Robbie uh, Jager, I think is his last name, but no one was covering that. Where? And then all of a sudden, where was uh, in Hunt Huntersville, North Carolina, is where the spill was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And their water tables contaminated. I mean, obviously, Colonial was on uh, the hooks for uh, they were going to have to do some sort of payout, probably. Well, maybe not because of the mainstream media blackout. It's hard to know if you have no public outrage. You know, they get away with more, uh, generally speaking. But um, apparently they they paid the ransom it's come out now they paid the ransom but kept the pipeline shut down even though the pipeline was still working uh because they were concerned they wouldn't be able to bill people appropriately yeah, um, yeah after the fact that sounds to me like they were holding uh the southeast hostage because they supply half of the fuel for the east coast so if the federal investigators are going to hit them with a big fine for their big spill and they're like well Look how badly you need us. You sure you really want to fine us this much and all that stuff? I mean, th these type of mafia tactics is the reality of how the power structure in the U.S. works. And not just the U.S., a lot of other countries. So, you know, the fact that they uh, didn't open the pipeline right away and they were creating shortages and, and you know, states of emergencies were declared and they, they could have opened the pipeline but chose not to, um, that's problematic and says that there's a lot more going on to the story. And then what do you know, the main firms that come out to speak for the hackers, this dark side group, um, allegedly responsible for this hack, one is called Intel 471. Uh, if you go to their website and you go to their leadership page, you will see that their top three executives are all ex-FireEye. Uh, <laughs> but they're citing it like it's a different group, um, but still CIA backed, big surprise. Um, <clears throat> and um, the other... The other one is Cyber Reason, who I did a whole series about last year because Cyber Reason is an admitted Unit 8200 front company. Their CEO, Lior Div, says that Cyber Reason, which he co-founded, is a continuation of his service in Unit 8200, where he held a really high-level position. Uh, and he, by the way, when he was in Unit 8200, was responsible for offensive nation state hacking. So Israel offensively uh, targeting other nation states for hacks. That's what this guy was doing. And so he says this company is a continuation of that. Um, in 2019, they simulated the end of US democracy taking place during the 2020 election with a bunch of really shady people in the US government. That's a little weird. Um, they're also very, uh, very much embedded in the military networks now. Uh, through their partnership with Lockheed Martin. That partnership came to fruition after Lockheed Martin was hacked, um, but no one, no information was leaked. So I guess they paid off the hackers and then they set up a uh, office right in the center of where the Unit 8200 high-tech hub is 
uh, open Lockheed Martin Israel, which doesn't make weapons, it makes IT infrastructure. Um, and they partnered with Cyber Reason, put Cyber Reason stuff in all of their products and then merged with Lidos. Um, not Lockheed Martin, Lockheed Martin's IT division I'm talking about, merged with Lidos, uh, which is the largest provider of IT services to the US government. Um, so that's pretty scandalous. And they're, uh, you know, they, they just hired, well, last year they hired some ex Booz Allen Hamilton guy to get uh, even more uh, of a foothold in the US public sector, uh, very alarming. So anyway, that's the company that's saying um, that dark side is apolitical. That statement allegedly found of the hackers on the dark web uh, was found by cyber reason people. And so, yeah. you know, like I was saying, all the pieces that we know about the official narrative of these hacks are coming from intelligence agencies. Love from one it. of two countries generally so yeah. um do you really want to trust those guys i mean everyone else apparently seems to be which is not good <laughs> yeah it's weird because there's conflicting narratives too because you have that one where it's like we're an apolitical gray gray hat collective and we um basically license out our ransomware software to hackers we deem as um uh, honorable i guess is the word you could say and then you have yeah. Biden coming out already blaming it on russia but just going back to cyber attack narrative <clears throat> in general, like you mentioned a lot of central, so just from observation that I've caught um, personally over the last six months, start with uh, Augustine Karstens, the Bank of Inter International Settlements. He started pushing like central bank digital currencies and saying like, we can't have Bitcoin succeed. Christine Lagarde saying we need CBDCs. People actually don't like privacy when they transact. They they want to know that a government and Christine knows, doesn't she? She yeah. knows what the people want. It's not yeah. like she's a, you know, a tyrannical. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we can use that word. <laughs> then, uh, and then 60 minutes, uh, a month ago, month and a half ago, Jerome Powell, um, chairman of the federal reserve asked if he's worried about credit risk or inflation running hot. He said, no, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about cyber attacks on the financial system. And then obviously we have this stuff. So it's like, and so I was discussing this yesterday on the podcast we do weekly with my co-host Matt O'Dell rabbit hole recap. And he uh, brought up a good point. Like, is this is just confirmation bias. Are we just like, people have been saying cyber attacks, cyber attacks, cyber attacks for years. And now people are just like noticing and confirming biases that, are in their heads um you know i don't really know if that's um the case because basically you have to consider all of this in the context of um something i wrote about last year with the national security commission on ai which is basically the, the a fusing of silicon valley and intelligence agencies but you know in, in practice silicon valley and intelligence agencies are already fused and really have been um for a long time um, that particular organization chaired by Eric Schmidt, who's also very cozy with the Democrats, um, among uh, other political groups, um, basically put out this report saying what in 2019, before COVID, uh, that basically life in the U.S. had to be completely remade in order for the U.S. to uh, be able to be an economic and military hegemon uh, for the rest of the century and challenge China's dominance. And this all had to do with A.I., so they were basically arguing that uh, U.S. will use military, lose um, military and economic hegemony unless, um, <clears throat> uh, sorry, a uh, little sick, so forgetting uh, what I'm talking about. Okay, so um, that they'll lose hegemony unless they develop a better AI 
um, AI algorithms than China. And they say China already has a head start because China has a bigger population. Uh, that population is heavily surveilled and uses smartphones for everything, whereas the US does not. So something needed to change uh, so that the US establishment Silicon Valley, whatever, and obviously this benefits the intelligence community as well, um, can harvest more data per American citizen than China is currently harvesting per Chinese citizen. And this is in 2019, okay? So what we've seen under, um, you know, with, with, with COVID has been this push towards uh, making everything virtual and in the digital realm, uh, teleworking, telemedicine, whatever. I mean, it should be really obvious to everyone by now. Um, all of this is intended to be permanent. If you read what the oligarchs and, and the think tanks they fund and whatever um, are saying, this is all intended to be permanent. This is a part of something called the fourth industrial revolution, uh, which seeks to usher in a mass age of automation, which obviously would lead to a huge uh, massive loss of jobs and people, American workers have known this was coming for a long time. So how do you manufacture consent for all the jobs going away? How do you manufacture consent from uh, cash money uh, suddenly becoming a digital thing on your wallet, you know, for the regular person that doesn't know anything about digital currencies or cryptocurrencies or whatever? How do you manufacture consent for these monumental uh, societal shifts that the Silicon Valley and the intelligence community and also the military were all saying was necessary to ensure that U.S. is the, you know, the hegemon uh, for the next, I don't know how many hundred years or whatever. Um, you have to keep in mind the U.S. power establishment, all they care about is being the hegemon, being number one uh, in military might and in economic might. Everything else they don't give a shit about. So if they think they're going to lose it, um, they're going to do everything they can to prevent that from happening. Uh, I think that should be pretty clear if you followed, um, you know, just US politics in general, that basically the bottom line is economic hegemony and military hegemony. Uh, that's really all they care about at the end of the day. So, I mean, so the cyber attacks, what do they accomplish? They're targeting, and they lay this out, like the World Economic Forum, another group of theirs, the Partnership Against Cybercrime uh, that, that they have basically says that this stuff is, and also the um, FSISAC issued a report a couple months ago too, that private um, information sharing thing between all the banks, that it's going to be cascading cyber attacks by sector. Different sectors are going to get taken down. Um, and that's basically going to be used to, oh, the old system is fragile and failing, not not just in this sector, but across sectors. So we must remake all the sectors, right? And so obviously energy, you know, you have a pipeline being targeted. Um, obviously energy is something that we've known for a long time that they plan to totally remake. Banking is another one, um, you know, and uh, medicine is one that they're already well underway in doing. You know, there's actually this push now to not ever have you see a doctor in person ever again, and to have everything be about uh, health wearables that you know, uh, detect your all your biometric data in real time and send it off somewhere and predict if you'll have a disease before you show symptoms and all of this. This is where uh, the train is going and they've been really open about it and it's becoming, they're becoming more open about it with time. So, you know, they have been seeding it and saying, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen. But I would argue it's really more predictive programming so that you see those events as a cyber attack and not see them as this coordinated push 
to uh, basically remake the world uh, the way the oligarchs want. Because, I mean, if you think about things before COVID, a lot of uh, people-driven movements in countries around the world were starting to really put pressure on the oligarchy. You had the Yellow Vest in France, you had massive protests in Chile, and it was numerous other countries, uh, Haiti as well, having big uprisings against their their government, um, a lot of uh, stuff was starting to shift. And if you think about it, if you're, you know, at the top of this predator class, uh, you have to think about, I mean, these people have been thinking about how can we maintain the status quo indefinitely um, and continue to make inequality worse and continue to, you know, take all the wealth for ourselves and all the resources for ourselves, why people get, every regular people get smaller and smaller pieces of the pie that will obviously create unrest uh, how do we maintain the status quo forever without having to deal with dissent anymore um, and, and stuff like that? I mean, that's why these people meet at shit like Bilderberg and all these things and Davos, because they talk about this stuff, um, because they're interested in protecting their power at the expense of everyone else's. Um, because these people, not all of them, maybe, but a lot of them sort of yearn for, you know, feudalism of the medieval era um, and basically want to create a neo-feudal society powered by tech where they use AI and tech to control the people um, in a way that they couldn't do it, um, you know, before with police or, or things like that. Um, and they can only really do that in this technocratic system they're setting up. Yeah. I mean, they're cattle herding us into a digital pan mm -hmm. Exactly. There's some sadist behind it like it's sadistic to a point where like hey we're gonna make you eat bugs too you're gonna be eating larvae well they don't really view us as people i mean they're pretty you know um sometimes comments come out about how the elite feel about the little people and it's usually not very good you know um a lot of them well you know prince philip right who recently died in in the uk uh said that a, a few years ago he wanted if he dies he wants to come back as a killer virus to kill a bunch of people and lower the world's population he said what that? a nice guy yeah yeah yeah. oh yeah holy shit Love yeah it. it was it wasn't right before he died i mean it was several years ago um he just happened to have died recently so you may have seen his name in the news if you're not aware that he was right. a, a like, wrinkly gross looking member of the royal family um yeah it's, but yeah uh, i mean that's the kind of stuff these people say that's how they view us you know this whole thing eating insects eating i mean they probably think that's funny honestly um they probably get a kick out of it it wouldn't surprise me they're not planning to do all that stuff for them you know they're not planning to eat all this gm stuff uh themselves and that's why they have this huge seed ball in norway uh backed by gates and other oligarchs that are non-gmo seeds um for them but you know uh, bill gates likes to go around and say everyone else should have um, GMO stuff uh, before, you know, people started paying it. Most, a lot of people started paying attention to Bill Gates uh, and before COVID, you know, he was a, one of the big evangelists for GMO foods and Monsanto. And now people are like, oh yeah, the Monsanto evangelist uh, cares about public health. You know, I mean, it's just crazy. Um, now he's buying up all the farmland. In the middle of the yeah yeah well you know that's also buying up the water as well because a lot of the farmland sits on uh aquifer at least in the middle america there's this huge mm -hmm. aquifer in nebraska and so these states around it have that too and so he's buying up the water as well um and this is all intentional because mm -hmm. uh, 
a lot of these groups, and this includes Gates, who's in this Rockefeller orbit, Henry Kissinger is a big guy there. And Eric Schmidt, who was heading up this National Security Commission, has been called the second Kissinger. These guys love Kissinger. Kissinger is really well known for people that study this sort of stuff for when he was Secretary of State and he wrote this National Security Directive about how growth of the population in different countries um, uh, were a threat to U.S. national security. Like the global South population growth in Latin America and Africa was a threat to U.S. national security, made that U.S. policy. It's technically still U.S. policy because there's no evidence they ever revoked that directive. Um, and he talked about in there as using food as a weapon to subjugate people. All right. So, I mean, essential goods, uh, essential things you need uh, to survive, food and water, all that stuff. I mean, they plan to use that um, to their advantage and, uh, and to think they want to do it. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think they want to create a much more desperate situation in the U S they've already talked about, uh, the big way they want to combat vaccine hesitancies to tie it to government assistance. Um, but the more people you can get on government assistance than, than before, um, you know, you'll have more people, uh, being dependent on the state and doing whatever they want and being, uh, you know, uh, units of data to be harvested. So we beat China and all this stuff, you know, it's the, the vaccine pushing peddling from the politicians has been really creepy, like de Blasio eating fries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just starting off. I'm, I'm just going to be real about that. Um, you, some people are like, oh, look how crazy it's gotten. A king. This must be peak crazy. Um, it's not. So basically, if you look back in 2020, uh, the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security put out a policy, um, a couple different policy documents about COVID-19 vaccination policy before any of them were approved. And all several people on their co-authors uh, ended up being on Biden's COVID task force on his, his transition team um, and influencing a lot of stuff, um, uh, appointees and things like that later put into the Biden administration. One of these um, people, by the way, that I'm talking about that sort of was uh, involved in these papers and then in with the Biden task force is this woman named Luciana Borio, uh, who actually works for the CIA for NQTEL right now. And basically, you know, um, one of these documents, I posted this on Twitter um, when I found it uh, several months ago, um, talked about tying uh, vaccination to state assistance to food stamps um, and to other forms of state assistance in the long term and all this stuff like uh, food incentives um, and, you know, free stuff and all of it, it, it was all gamed out in there, um, trying to, uh, counter, uh, vaccine hesitancy in minority communities by setting up vaccine centers and barbershops and all of this stuff, all in these policy documents from, from last year. And they've been, you know, doing them piece by piece. And they're, I think they're encountering more hesitancy than they expected. So, you know, they're going along. Uh, the policy paper. If you want to see the roadmap for how crazy things are going to get on that front, go back and read those. Well, I was at dinner with my wife last night and she was mentioning that they're giving out Johnson Johnson shots in the New York subways now. Like, which I don't know. That's if that, weird. I'm not able to confirm that, but the, the, she heard that through the grape. I was like, what the fuck? Like, it, no, and it's incredibly creepy. <clears throat> a shot and a yeah. beer. Like, yeah, get the shot. You'll get a free beer. That was in the PA area. Uh, you'll get free Shake Shack. They're giving out million dollar lotteries in Ohio for people to get it. It's yeah, Mike DeWine, who's uh Leslie Wexner's little like bitch man <laughs> that runs Ohio. Uh, it's really crazy. Um, yeah, so um, that's that is really telling. I think that they're willing, um, as compared to every other healthcare initiative uh, in the U.S. ever, um, the powers that be are willing to spend 
tons of money, millions and millions and millions of dollars to convince people to take this thing um, when it's on a much, uh, you know, uh, shorter regulatory framework than all previous vaccines. Um, and, you know, there's been a huge suppression of, of scientists, even from within the system who don't disagree um, and things like that. There's definitely a lot of things that are really unprecedented about this particular um, life-saving vaccine um, that are, you know, uh, very propagandistic in the way it's being sold. I mean, for example, Bill uh, Mayer, the the TV comedian, uh, fully vaccinated. Mar. It just came out that he bought Mars. Sorry, I whatever. <laughs> I because I, I actually have something to add about. Uh, there's something else that happened on Bill Maher's show that I want to bring up to you as well. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Well, he apparently uh, tested positive recently after being fully vaccinated, and he's asymptomatic. Okay, so you get vaccinated, you still asymptomatically spread the virus. Okay. So what is the point? Supposedly the point is that you have less, um, you know, severe symptoms if you do contract COVID um, and you, you're less likely to get hospitalized and die. This is the official narrative. But then why are you uh, mandating it for kids that are like 12 to 15 years old now um, when they have pretty much zero risk of being hospitalized or dying from COVID if that's the only uh, official benefit of the COVID-19 vaccine. I think a lot of people um, are taking it because they're afraid. Um, wow. They it were, the fear porn was too much. They think this is the only way out. Um, it's not. And that's going to be an unfortunate discovery um, for people that were motivated to do it for then the people that took it because they thought they'd be able to travel. Well, there's a lot of people that did that in the UK. And then it turns out you can only travel to Portugal, Gibraltar, and uh, a bunch of islands no one visits anyway in Israel, which is, uh, you know, uh, basically trying to annihilate Gaza right now. And uh, who yeah. wants to travel there right now? Great vacation spot. So, you know, okay. So all the people that were like, I want to go on a vacation this summer and only got it for that are like, oh, shit, <laughs> I can't really go anywhere still. Yeah, it's. It's scary. I mean, I'm, I'm up in the Philadelphia area and I mean, my family, a lot of my family, not all of my family would have called it hook, line and sinker. Like they literally think if they get the vaccine, they can get back to normal. It's like, this is not how this works. And and again, forcing it on children. Like, so I, and I'm like very vocal, like I'm not getting the vaccine. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm 29. I am a healthy uh, young man. I like to think I'm not, maybe I'm not as young as I think I am, but statistically going to the cdc website looking at the probability of death if i do contract it like i'm, I'm not gonna risk <laughs> yeah and the cdc is no longer uh, recording breakthrough infections from the vaccination so if you're vaccinated and you get covid19 after being vaccinated against it allegedly the cdc no longer records that information that's yeah. a little weird uh for an agency that was desperate to uh, diagnose everyone with the thing um, not that long ago. So mm -hmm. it's a little weird. It's almost like they don't um, really care about the virus. It's more about this whole carrot and stick approach. Um, you know, and, and, and that lady, the, that lady on CNN that went on and, and was really controversial, the, um, I think she works, uh, advises the Gates Foundation, the, the Chinese doctor, I can't remember her name, but she, you know, she basically went on and was like, there needs to be a carrot stick approach that you get the vaccine, you go back to normal. But mm -hmm. like we were talking about earlier, that carrot stick approach is not just going to be used for the vaccine. It's going to be used for a lot of other stuff because they want a lot of things across sectors uh, to change in the US and they plan to do that. And it's going to be uh, coercion as far as they can take it. Um, yeah. until they get enough people on board 
So this is shifting from like COVID to energy. This is something I've been focusing on. Uh, and so outside of this podcast and my newsletter, I work for a company, Great American Mining. We use natural gas that would otherwise be flared to mine Bitcoin. And so just the nature of that job uh, has really forced me to do a lot of research into the energy industry, particularly mm-hmm. how energy yeah. is produced and delivered to market and how grids work. And so I've, I've been falling down the the grid infrastructure rabbit hole and the climate hysterics, the climate emergency, it, the climate emergency is just another carrot stick to, to force us to unreliable grid systems, right? And nothing yeah. makes this more clear to me than the decommissioning of nuclear power plants across the country, which is... Well, it's not, it's not just that. So there's a lot of stuff... Um, um, going on here. So one thing is that um, the World Economic Forum and these guys, when we talk about the fourth industrial revolution and creating a greener society and more sustainable, a sustainable capitalism, inclusive capitalism, all this stuff they, they, they try and talk about. If you actually look at the kind of society they want to create by 2030, it's not going to be greener. All of this stuff that is going to run on AI and all of this surveillance crap, all this data mining requires more and more data centers to be built. It requires um, uh, bumping way up uh, the amount of lithium mining, nickel mining, all the stuff that's used to make these, these batteries and electric cars and a lot of this other like high tech stuff. Um, and that's why we're seeing a lot of unrest, particularly in the countries in South America, along the Andes, where all the copper and all the minerals are, and also in Africa, um, you know, there's been like six uh, governments toppled, six presidents removed in the past year. Uh, four of them uh, died of heart attacks. Yeah, uh-huh. four of them died of heart attacks, a sudden heart attacks. Um, you know, uh, it, after criticizing the, the COVID stuff, which is pretty crazy. I wrote about Tanzania specifically, um, a couple months ago and in January, um, they reopened a mine that they had the, the world's largest, uh, de- uh, developable, um, nickel mine that they'd taken that the Tanzanian government had nationalized and taken from Glencore and Barrett gold. And they, uh, reopened it as a quasi nationalized project in January. And a month later, the guy disappears for three weeks. And then he, at the end of that lengthy disappearance, um, dies of a sudden heart attack. And, uh, you know, and then the lady that replaces him is like, uh, you know, has attended World Economic Forum meetings, used to work for the UN and all of this stuff and has signaled a big turnaround on a lot of things. Um, but this guy, the Tanzania guy, you know, he was... Um, People described him as being anti-COVID, but he was really anti a lot of stuff. Um, he kicked out Monsa- a, a, tri- a GMO trial funded by like Bayer Monsanto and Bill Gates a couple years ago. He kicked out big uh, multinational oil and gas companies. You know, he he was kind of similar in a lot of ways to Evo Morales um, of Bolivia, who got uh, Elon Musk lithium cooed um, in 2019, right? Um, what's that? He got lithium cooed? Uh, well, so the lithium mines in, in Bolivia, um, it's some of the the whole lithium triangle, which is Argentina, Chile, and uh, and Bolivia. Bolivia has most of it, um, are really critical to, to this whole infrastructure they're trying to set up. And so there's basically this huge proxy war thing going on um, around the world for the raw materials to build up this new system. So it's not proxy wars necessarily for oil and gas anymore. It's proxy um, proxy wars for rare earth minerals and lithium and, and nickel and graphite and a lot of the stuff that, that this technology requires. Um, 
So in Bolivia, at the end of 2019, there was a coup that was backed by the U.S. government, um, and the Organization of American States was just dominated by the U.S. anyway. Um, it was illegitimate, um, but Evo Morales was, was forced out, and one of the reasons for that is because he had nationalized a lithium mine um, that the U.S. wanted, um, and they'd done so in, in coordination with a Chinese company. So obviously the competitor uh, to the U.S. going into business with Bolivia, getting the raw materials they want. Um, and then you, of course, have Elon Musk, his infamous tweet a few months later saying, we'll coup whoever we want after it came out that uh, the coup government in Bolivia was trying to negotiate um, deals for that lithium mine to basically all that mined lithium to end up in, in Elon Musk's hands. So, I mean, that's pretty fucking scandalous. You tweeted um, that? We'll coup whoever we want? Yeah. Like some, yeah. You know. I'm surprised you did not see that. Yeah. So, you know, this is the cool rogue billionaire um, who smokes pot on Joe Rogan and, you know, basically saying it's okay to overthrow governments and making, you know, Bolivians' lives miserable so that Elon Musk can get the lithium so it, it doesn't go to uh, Bolivia in, in China. I mean, that's fucking wild. But this is going on all over the world. I want to be really clear about that. Yeah. And well, so this, like, so this leads me to, like this leads me to believe that like Bitcoin is the strongest tool we have against this impending digital panopticon, and uh, it seems like the kleptocratic elite that we always talk about are, are throwing their weight at Bitcoin now uh, in a way where it seems like they're threatened by it, and like Elon playing a part of that. So like they're attacking Bitcoin yeah. from multiple angle, angles right now, like ransomware. Like it, it contributes to cyber attacks. Uh, mining takes up a lot of electricity. <coughs> Sorry. It's gonna destroy the environment, so we need to stop the mining. And and you can see they're pulling out all the stops. Like again, Bill Maher, I brought that up because they had uh, Chris Krebs, who was Trump's cybersecurity guy go on yeah he's ex microsoft uh top guy at microsoft for government microsoft relations he didn't work for trump he worked for microsoft <laughs> yeah. well he was poo-pooing uh, bitcoin and cryptocurrency because of ransom yeah. now you have elon <coughs> night or two nights ago i'm being like we need to stop the bitcoin mining and it's all that's what I he wanna... says he wants to stop the Bitcoin mining, but this guy is all about exploitative mining to exactly. make the batteries for his cars and all of this shit. So, I mean, he's the biggest hypocrite on the fucking planet. Exactly. And um, so let's, people jump, need to, mm -hmm. let's jump into this. You tweeted out last night, like the carbon credit game. It's all a scam. Like, it, it, like that's the thing. Yeah. The logical inconsistencies of the climate emergency crew and the hysterics that are pushing us towards these unreliable energy sources, uh, like didn't didn't. Uh, Elon and Tesla getting insane subsidies, but their technology is not really green at the end of the day, as you're describing. They have to go get these rare yeah. the electric cars plug into uh, the charging stations that are run on coal and natural gas. Like it's all. Yeah. Hot. Mm -hmm. And actually, the World Economic Forum and all these guys want to bring back nuclear power for those that think nuclear power is dirty and dangerous and, and want to get rid of it, um, they're planning to bring it back because they know the, that, that all these data centers and all this shit they want to set up, they can't do it without a lot more power than they actually have right now. Um, so, I mean, th this is just huge hypocrisy. The fact that most people, um, most politicians and talking heads on TV think the main solution to climate change is carbon markets tells you they're full of shit. There is a major environmental catastrophe globally but it's not carbon. It's uh, the pollution. I mean, pollution put out by by corporations 
in governments, uh, the U.S. military being uh, the world's largest polluter, by the way, um, you know, this stuff is, is a major problem. So we, we can't say there's no environmental threats. OK, they definitely are. Mm -hmm. uh, there are extinction issue, but it, I would argue it's pollution, not carbon. If carbon was the issue, the solution would be to plant trees everywhere um, or something like that. And these guys don't want to do that at all. They want to make carbon markets, which is obviously just another I almost swore, oh, because it just makes me really mad. It's another casino for these guys. You know, they want to collapse the fiat casino um, and then they're going to open the carbon rationing, carbon market uh, casino. And, and Elon Musk has already gotten uh, rich off of the um, pro, the, the precursor to this system um, by, by giving these, these credits uh, to different companies and all this stuff because he's supposedly green um, and, and all of this crap. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah. Ugh. And so this is funny that we're having this conversation because last night I recorded a podcast and um, we we dove really into this stuff like the client is there a climate emergency and so there's no and so I had to I had to clarify this for the freaks like because I thought about it overnight and now that we're having this discussion like to try to separate like what's going on no I don't think like burning fossil fuels and sending carbon into the atmosphere is going to create a a climate on Earth where you're having like crazy super tornadoes and the hurricanes that destroy the earth that way but the uh, expansion of the military military industrial complex and the fiat monetary system that allows people to go print money ex nihilo and then go spend it to extract stuff that is bad for the environment you're dirtying water you're extracting rare earth metals that may otherwise not need to be extracted from the earth um due to these perverse incentives so like yeah, like you want to conserve all these resources and replenish them. That's the other thing. Like the subsidies with corn specifically creates like a monoculture and you, you ruin the topsoil and you can't, you can't like, yeah. you can't replenish. <clears throat> oh, sorry, I'm coughing so much. I, I There's a really good example to uh, how these guys are so full of shit. There is an effort right now to mine the Andean mountains of Patagonia in Chile which is where uh, a bunch of the world's remaining fresh water supply happens to be uh, as well. Uh, and also stored in glaciers and things like this. It's a, a, a very, Patagonia is very famous for its natural beauty. It's protected and all of this stuff. Well, Chile uh, at the end of the day is a big mining economy. The north of Chile is where most of the mining happens in the Atacama desert region. Atacama in the indigenous Aymara language actually means tangled roots because at some point, uh, before, you know, 18, whatever, uh, it was actually forested. It wasn't the world's driest desert. It is now, uh, for, there were a couple exploitative things that happened, mining being one of them. The other one being, a salitre. I don't know the name in English, sorry, but it was like a fertilizer exported abroad. They basically sent all the topsoil of Northern Chile abroad, uh, to Europe and in the United States. That's the, uh, um, the, the bat, the ammonia rich. Like the, uh, uh, I believe, I, I don't remember its composition, but it was something like that. It was, it was marketed as a fertilizer, but basically eroded the topsoil and then you have the mining. And so now it's the world's driest desert. Um, people that live in the North can't even drink the tap water in, or shower in it, but some of them have to, cause they don't have a choice. It's, it, it's, ars it's full of arsenic and a bunch of other poisonous stuff. They can't drink it or consume it anymore. Um, and so they rely off of bottled water exclusively. So they basically want to bring these mines whose finite supplies of copper and, and different minerals are running out 
They've discovered all these things in the South. They're going to move it to the South. And they're doing all of this with the support of the same global entities who all back Sebastián Piñera, who's the governor, the, the president of Chile, who, who's gaming to do this. They're all backing this shit because they want the minerals. It's not about let's preserve nature and all of this shit uh, because they're going to a place, they want to go to a place that's pristine and they want to take the land and they want to mine it. You know, I mean, it's just... um. <sighs> super full of shit. But the problem is, is that people have associated certain uh, fronts, spokespeople for these people as legitimately caring about the environment um, when they're constructs a lot of times in the case of Greta Thunberg um, or they. Uh, uh, Greta, yeah. So if, if the world isn't under the oceans in 10 years, what, what are you going to do? Like she, she gave us a 12 year warning two years ago. Well, this is the problem with focusing all on carbon and not focusing on other environmental issues. You know, we're going to run into major other environmental issues that everyone's totally ignoring. What about fracking in the U.S., how it's totally destroyed the water supply in Pennsylvania and a bunch of other states um, and, and stuff like that? You know, I mean, no one hears about fracking anymore, but it's still going on and still causing major environmental damage. We're all being told carbon is bad. I would argue the whole carbon narrative was dreamt up because it wanted uh, the, the intention was to have regular people feel like this is all their fault instead of the fault of governments and predatory corporations uh, that pollute with impunity around the world. And, so, and they, want, they want to put the blame on the regular guy and make the regular guy uh, restrict uh, their, how they live their lives even more, why these people have multiple homes and will continue to do so, um, you know, and fly all over the world in private jets where they're telling us, you know, we have to eat worm food um, and, and cockroaches and stuff. I mean, it's obvious hypocrisy. Um, and, you know, it, it's very clear that they have a, a vision for the future that involves uh, our standard of living getting significantly worse while theirs either stays the same or gets uh, significantly better. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a recipe for neo-feudalism. It's really disconcerting. Uh, disconcerting. I, it is. Disclaimer, I benefit from fracking. Again, we use gas that, that's produced by, by fracking. And I think people in the oil industry would push back and say hey, the, the the water contamination stuff is a bit uh we're gonna have to disagree there yeah. um I, I don't well I mean, i'm actually not an expert on the water contamination side of it so i can't speak eloquently on it well the problem is 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 how they drill the wells and how they seal them when they frack and a lot of these companies like halliburton for example you know, Dick Cheney's old, old company, um, you know, they operate with impunity. So they don't really care if they seal it well or not. And so if it seeps into the water table, it's really problematic. And, um, you know, uh, we can agree to disagree on that. But I definitely think there is a, uh, if fracking causes a, a significant damage in the places where it happens, that's my opinion. But no, yeah, I mean, that's another thing. Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining actually incentivizes vertical drilling again. You can get actually get more gas and be more efficient with it over time. Well, let, I mean, so basically what 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 the point is, is that the existing system fossil fuels is exploitative. It does cause environmental damage. But I don't think the issue is necessarily carbon. And I think these guys want to move to a model that would be equally, if not more environmentally, environmentally destructive. They need to be called out on it. Exactly. I mean, that's basically what it comes comes down to. I'm not going to say the current system's good because I don't think it is. And I think a lot of these current systems that the that these guys are targeting to take down uh, are messed up and corrupt and need to be remade. But they're the ones that want to remake it. And we have to prevent that from happening. Um, and we have to come up with alternatives and, you know, that we can use instead to these different things. 
well, yeah, we we need to take the decision making away from these people. So again, I hate to keep bringing this back to Bitcoin. It's a Bitcoin podcast, but that this is like it's fix fine. the money. <laughs> I expect that here. Don't worry. Like it all, it all comes back to the money, right? And the the ability to mm-hmm. create anything there and just push it wherever you want to go. And so, um, I strongly believe that we need to focus on bringing something like Bitcoin to the world, and then fixing all these external problems that we're discussing right now will emanate from the fact that they cannot control the money supply. Right. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of different people who have a lot of different opinions about solutions, but what matters is that people are getting out there and they're actually trying to change something. You know, um, it's one thing to sit back on your keyboard and shit on everyone else's solutions all day long because you don't agree with them and then do nothing yourself. I mean, what really what people need to be doing is trying what they think would be best, even if like person X, Y and Z is going to disagree with you or not like what you're doing. You know, if you're uh, convinced that you can make a positive impact and stop this nightmare um, from being crystallized and imposed upon us, um, you know, why not? Um, I don't, you know, I mean, obviously we have to start being, uh, the people that are, want to resist this have to start being solution focused and start taking initiatives and not just passively waiting, um, for stuff to fall in your lap. The people that want to wait for stuff to fall in their lap are going to be the people that are going to, uh, end up depending on state assistance and literally, uh, have no sovereignty even over their own bodies anymore, um, about what you have to do in order to continue to receive that assistance. And, you know, it's an end to, to sovereignty essentially. So if you want to continue being, you know, having autonomy over your life and, and your body, um, it's, it's time to start doing something. People are obviously going to disagree, um, on what the best course of action is, but I think, you know, why not let people try whatever they think will work? Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And it's, it's like on, like the body side, they want to control your body. And then like, if they control your money, these digital wallets, they'll literally be able to like airdrop money in your bank account and say, Hey, here's your money. Here's your UBI. You can only spend it here, here, and here. You can only eat high fructose. Yeah. And now they're having it with expiration dates. The digital (laughs) yuan, right. has an expiration date. And even though, Oh, bad China, uh, the, I think it was the bank of England, uh, developing Britcoin was talking about, Oh, well, we actually like the expiration date idea. Of course they do because it it prevents people from saving their wealth, having any say over their own wealth. Um, and they're forced to spend whenever the government wants you to spend. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, the, the dream of the technocrats, but it's a nightmare for everyone else. No, I agree. And it's, and again, it's like the, it, in, in incentivizes con- conspicuous consumption and overconsumption and the, the production of consumption goods that, that complete destroy the environment and, and misallocate capital. Like that's again, like Bitcoin it fixes this on so many levels, right? Like if you have a sound monetary system, you can only invest in so many things and you're only going to invest in things. <coughs> mm-hmm. that, like you're, you're not going to be able to destroy the world, um, the environment, uh, the, the trees, the, the topsoil at the rate at which it's happening now, because you're going to have more efficient capital allocation play out. It's, yeah, it is, but they, they did want you on that hamster wheel. They're trying to, they're trying hard to, to push people into this panopticon, but I'm, am I wrong to be optimistic? Like last year, I think people, I mean, a lot of people obviously are docile, but here in the United States, particularly you're seeing some competition between States. Like you're seeing Texas, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, Wyoming, South Dakota sort of stand up and be like, Hey, we don't, we don't want to 
like force people to do anything they want to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, and at the end of the day, though, I think federal governments like people that want to leave the U.S. and go to Mexico because the Mexican president is anti-COVID or something. So like uh, in, in that case, uh, recently, the, the president of Mexico was like, oh, the U.S. is trying to coup me. Uh, OK, big surprise. So, you know, federal governments and I also think state governments are really susceptible uh, to regime change, even if it's a state government in the U.S., if there's someone that's not playing the rules and they want it to. I mean, the people that are in charge of the federal government of the U.S. have lots of ways of uh, bringing states back under their thumb. Um, and that includes also the fact that the Supreme Court of the U.S. is full of corrupt, uh, nasty uh, judges, uh, you know, I'm uh, not a big fan of of their lineup. So in, in their policies. So, you know, that's basically a recipe to, to throw state rights to the wind um, if they want it to be. And they have majorities in, in both uh, houses. So what I think it comes down to at the end of the day isn't necessarily about the state government the federal government or the national government, wherever you live. It's about uh, local communities. If you can build a local resistant community to weather the storm and start producing a lot of your basic needs um, and cut out the middlemen that are tied to this uh, cabal, whatever you want to call them, um, as much as possible, that's really the only recipe for success as I see it anymore. Because if you're going to be like, oh, well, my state governor um, is not being an asshole right now. Well, there could be an election soon or that something could happen and he could be forced out. Some sort of blackmail on him could surface and off he goes. You know, um, it's happened before and it could happen again. So it's best to, to be as local as possible and as decentralized as possible. Um, that's that's my view You're speaking um, of this stuff. Winter words right now. We, we refer to <laughs> citadels. You need to build your citadel that is uh, autonomous and, and we need to. Yeah, but that's not just true for financial stuff and Bitcoin stuff. I mean, that's true in the real world, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like Bitcoiners mm -hmm. have have dreams of like buying plots of land with the water and building strong towns and right, right. But it, you know, uh, you can think of yourself as like you know, oh, I can do this and my family can do this. But you're really better off finding like-minded people and building a community with them because I mean, the the, the stuff that's coming. I mean, people are going to need to lean on each other a little bit. It's going to get really crazy. Oh, I mean, um, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, we're just at the start of this whole thing. These guys want to have this kind of chaos and instability get progressively worse between now and 2030 when they hope that they can implement all the stuff that they um, wish to implement. So going to survive to 2030. I feel like everybody pushing this stuff is like 80 years old. Yeah, but they also, you know, well, they're convinced a lot of these guys are like also avid transhumanists and think that technology will soon be at a point where they're going to live together, live forever. Um, that's why Peter Thiel is like obsessed with young people's blood. And, uh, you know, these people, people at that same level of the oligarchy are like, uh, yeah, I can't wait to upload my brain into the cloud and live forever and all of this stuff. I mean, a lot of them are obsessed with immortality and staying young forever or never dying and all of this stuff. So I don't know. Um, we'll see how it pans out. I actually think the reason that um, a lot of things are not working out for the elite in this big plan, even if it may look to us like um, resistance is small or whatever, we have to keep in mind 
um, that social media algorithms manipulate what we see, um, TV manipulates what we see, and even people like me, when I do reports, I have to depend, uh, depend on a lot of those sources for what I do and try and read between the lines, right? So a lot of the positive stories of people waking up and rising up, I mean, a lot of it we don't hear about. Um, so that's one thing. On the other thing, uh, the, on, on the other side, I really think that these guys really thought artificial intelligence and a lot of these, these technologies that they're depending on to control everyone are not as developed as they need them to be. And that's why they're saying now that these lockdowns are going to go on forever. First, it was lockdowns for COVID. Now they're saying it's lockdowns for climate change. Yes, it's been in mainstream media. The Guardian uh, put that out not long after Bill Gates started doing his uh, climate book tour. Um, so, you know, keeping people locked down allows them to build up this infrastructure while no one's around and keep people from moving um, and seeing what's going on and having people glued to the screen uh, where the information they're getting about what's going on in the world is being stovepiped to them through all these different, through social media, mainstream media, whatever. Um, if their AI system was working the way they need it to work, um, they wouldn't need to do that indefinitely for several years. So. <clears throat> If you look to examples about AI, for example, um, where they've tried to uh, make like a singularity style self-aware AI, it's always backfired and gone super wrong. Uh, one example, Microsoft put out an AI chat bot that was supposed to be able to simulate a real human conversation and conv convince you it was human. It became a neo-Nazi in like less than 24 hours and basically was being like poll on 4chan. Uh, the whole time. So, you know, if you're going to feed your AI with data because you're so desperate to be like the leader in the new AI era and you're feeding it with low quality data like Hitler memes and cat memes and cat videos on YouTube and stuff, your AI is going to be dumb as fuck. Sorry, <laughs> it's not going to work out well. And I think they're realizing that, that they're just so desperate. Data is the new oil, right? As they've been saying for a couple of years, they're hoarding as much data as possible, but a lot of that data isn't filtered, isn't quality checked. So they're training their AI on a bunch of just dumb shit. I mean, the internet is full of dumb shit. There's obviously important information on the internet, but uh, some of it's really dumb. So, you know, when you mix it, when you throw it all into AI and you're like, AI becomes something, it's going to be what, you know, it's like the analogy for people, you are what you eat. I mean, it's the same thing with AI and data. Well, so it's sort of ironic. And I'm sorry if there's background noise. I think somebody started power washing uh, next door to me. All but, right. I keep coughing because I'm sick. So <laughs> fine. But it, it is hilarious. It's almost ironic because they dumb down and try to make like a docile society and, and they're, they're and they want to use that data to feed their super intelligent AI. They're going to get a super dumb AI. Right. I mean, these people are idiots. Yeah. So I think they're not going to ever be able to get AI where they want it to be. It's always going to fuck up. And even now, um, some of the companies that are pitching or actually using AI to predict COVID outbreaks before they happen on, the, on a community level, their own documents, not independently reviewed, the company's own PR documents say it has an accuracy of 79%. That is or 73%. That is low. That is low. That has a huge margin for error. 73% accuracy. You're going to have everything run on this stuff. And that's like, it's probably way lower. Cause like I said, that's the company's claim. Not even the, it hasn't been independently reviewed, independently reviewed. It could be like 50% accurate or something. Yeah. And so the other, I mean, and the other thing we have in our favor is independent media, like yourself um, in podcasting, particularly is very distributed. We're getting good information out to people like the project Veritas undercover report like that you, we mentioned it earlier like c catching that cnn 
chief tactical operator, whatever his fucking title was, like literally <laughs> explaining what the playbook is. It's yeah. just like, part of that. These people like to brag too. I think that's a big part of their uh, downfall. Yeah, They're really bragging. arrogant. Mm -hmm. Bragging like, yeah, our goal was to get Trump out. We did it. Um, our goal was to fear fear monger people. We just had to put the numbers on them. <laughs> Next is climate change. Next is yeah. The, these people are sick if they're they they don't see the human consequences of the stuff they're doing. Right. How many how many people have died because of this crap? I mean, it's just really um, it's really sick. Well, um, before we um wrap up, I definitely wanted to talk a little more about um, Elon Musk since he's in the news, and I really uh, want to stress that I think there has been a very sophisticated propaganda operation the past couple of years to make this guy seem like the cool rogue billionaire even though he's literally in the top three of the world's richest people yeah. you know with jeff bezos and all of these guys make him be like the cool billionaire this is a larger effort a larger propaganda effort to make this uh, a certain class of oligarch seem cool and neat um and a lot of these guys ultimately tie back to what i what a lot of people actually call the paypal mafia which of course has peter thiel at the center but you know, Palmer Lucky has also gotten some of this propaganda spin. He's a cool guy, blah, blah, blah. He wears Hawaiian shirts when he does stuff, uh, even though he sold Oculus Rip to Facebook and now he's making AI weapons for the military. Cool dude, you know, um, it, it, that, and the Elon Musk thing has been really similar. So I really want to stress to people, Elon Musk is just another billionaire. He's like Bill Gates. He's really not that different. In fact, Starlink the internet service provider that he that's part of SpaceX uh, was actually Bill Gates's idea originally um, in the mid 90s with the this uh, billionaire telecom executive. They wanted to create a global internet monopoly uh, with low orbit satellites. Their company was called Teledesic. Um, they couldn't do it because they couldn't afford the infrastructure technology uh, was still too expensive. But what's crazy is that literally the year that Teledesic folds, uh, SpaceX is launched um, by Elon Musk. So that's a little interesting tie in there. Um, and I mean, Elon Musk is also um, like a lot of other tech billionaires covering up his ties to Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein was advising Tesla, was trying to get Tesla uh, financing from Saudi Arabia because he's really, uh, Jeffrey Epstein was very cozy with Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia, trying to get um, uh, these uh, the, their sovereign wealth fund. At the same time, they're doing all the stuff, the vision fund with SoftBank and all of this stuff to give money to Tesla so Tesla could go private. It only really got derailed because Elon Musk tweeted about it and then was immediately under federal investigation, um, if you remember that, back in 2018. But that was actually Epstein. Uh, well, after- mm -hmm. I didn't realize he had Epstein ties. Oh yeah, his brother um, basically uh, dated one of the girls that Epstein was exploiting. She was living, she was like part of his entourage, however you wanna take that, either co-conspirator or victim, um, started and dated uh, Kimball Musk for a year. Kimball Musk is on the board of Tesla and SpaceX. And allegedly, uh, this is from Business Insider, Epstein and his entourage got a tour of SpaceX facilities back in 2012, um, you know. After he was let out of jail yeah <laughs> well that was like yeah. another, another person that i don't know if he's considered paypal ma mafia but he runs peter thiel's uh fun eric weinstein you had a thread about him um yeah well that's because he was saying um that you know uh it wasn't shady to be part of edge and uh the edge foundation is something that not everyone that was involved in it 
um, is shady. I'm not necessarily saying that, but the way um, uh, Weinstein was describing it as being like submitting essays once a year is not all it was doing. They had uh, numerous events. Um, and during that period, those events um, were it, almost exclusively really bankrolled by Jeffrey Epstein. Um, he donated, he was like some years their only donor, but from 2001 until 2017, I mean, the the vast majority of, of their donations was coming from Epstein. And this was basically a way to get people linked to Epstein's Wall Street corrupt financial network, which includes people like Michael Milken and some of these guys, uh, ties uh, basically bringing them together to finance stuff um, with Silicon Valley, um, big Microsoft, Google presence at these meetings, um, and also like academics, scientific academics. Um, and it, you know, <clears throat> Eric Weinstein has tried to frame himself sort of as this, uh, he was, uh, he's very concerned about the intelligence ties of Epstein. But if you actually look at his tweets about it, he's always just asking these questions about it. Um, he talks about how he met Epstein. He doesn't say how Epstein met him. I'm convinced it was because of Edge, because Eric was part of Edge. And Epstein would go and contact scientists through Edge. And that is how he would get access to them. Um, so it seems pretty obvious, but he won't say if that was the case or not. He won't say what he and Epstein talked about when they met, but according to him on his podcast where he was supposedly so open about it um, at the end, he talks about how immediately he went and called someone and was like, uh, this man is a construct. There's no way he's real. There's He's bizarre. It's so shady. Well, why can't you say what was so shady about the meeting? What did Epstein say that made you knew he was a construct right away and all of this stuff? You know, he won't talk about that stuff. And, and if he wasn't currently working for Peter Thiel, I'd probably give him a pass. But, the, you know, I mean, Peter Thiel is intimate in, in the whole PayPal mafia, intimately involved in building this panopticon we've been talking about, really at the center of it. Um, Palantir is like, um, I've been I've been writing about it in a lot. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The CIA front, isn't it? They're basically just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, basically what it is, uh, if, if you remember way back. Um, well, maybe not for other millennials, but people that are older, maybe that are watching, may remember in 2002, 2003, the US military wanted to operate something called total information awareness. It was a surveillance program after 9-11. It, it, it included a biosurveillance component to surveil people for health to prevent pandemics before they could happen. Um, it also involved uh, profiling people to see if you might be a terrorist before you commit a crime um, and all of this stuff. Um, it was really controversial because at the time, people rightly noted, it would eliminate privacy in the U.S. entirely for domestic American citizens, uh, very unheard of and very unconstitutional. Um, it was shut down, but it didn't actually go away. Pieces of it were privatized. Pieces of it continued underground in the intelligence community and got sent to different agencies um, and were moved outside of the military. Um, in, right after uh, total inform information awareness gets shut down, uh, Peter Thiel and Alex Karp, two of the co-founders of Palantir, are at Richard Pearl's house and are hanging out with the neocon Richard Pearl uh, from PNAC, um, basically talking about how to set up total information awareness as a private company. And they go and meet with John Poindexter, who's um, uh, the highest ranking Iran-Contra criminal in the Reagan administration who was going to be running this total information awareness system for the military. Um, they go and they meet with him and they talk about um, how to create total information awareness as a private company. And that's how Palantir was born. That is literally what Palantir was designed to be. That is why the CIA funded it at the beginning. That is why the CIA was their only client for the first three years of their business, guiding their entire product development 
how it works, what data it collects, what it does, et cetera, uh, CIA front. And the other person involved in advising uh, Palantir for the CIA at that time is a guy named Alan Wade, who was chief information officer of the CIA at 9-11. And before that had founded Kiliad, a company with Christine Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell's sister, that later after 9-11 became the Homeland Security software of choice for various intelligence agencies. Even after Christine Maxwell had been involved in the backdooring of US uh, networks for Israeli intelligence with the promised software scandal with her father in the 80s. It's nuts. So anyway, this is the group that Peter Thiel operates within, um, and they're trying to rebrand the fact that they're really an outgrowth of neocons, um, you know, by laundering themselves through like Joe Rogan's podcast and, and this other network of podcasts that are kind of similar to that to be like, oh, we're actually cool and all this stuff. I mean, Eric Weinstein uh, goes and talks about like trans bathrooms all day long, but he is distracting you from the fact that his boss is building, you know, a giant digital prison for everyone. Yeah. So, you know, I don't um, really give a shit what the guy thinks, no, frankly. Um, and there's plenty of ties on Epstein and, and intelligence that like he could have like put some facts out there. Now there's plenty that's been documented in for him to be asking questions and just vaguely say, follow the money. When Peter Thiel was co-investing uh, with Epstein and Carbine 911, a pre-crime law enforcement company run by Unit 8200 guys. I mean, come on. Shit yeah. is hypocritical as fuck. It's crazy how small the circle of whatever you want to call it as cabal, whatever it may be. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. And going back to Elon Musk, I mean, a lot of his companies, aside from like the the five billion in government subsidies to, to prop all of, of all of those up, a lot of the other money has come from either PayPal related venture capital firms, um, not just necessarily founders fund, one of Peter Thiel's main things, but it's come from uh, ex PayPal guys that used to work for Thiel or used to work for founders funds, setting up their own funds. And then they go and fund Tesla or SpaceX or whatever. I mean, these guys are passing the money around. And the fact that uh, Elon Musk is one of the richest guys in the world and he gets like $5 billion in government subsidies um, that that's just up until 2015. Uh, you know, I mean, that was like six years ago. I mean, imagine what it is now. Um, now you know, that's crazy. Tax, he like... was made to be wealthy. His businesses were made to be what they are. They're unprofitable. They wouldn't exist in the real world. It's not unlike how Jeffrey Epstein was set up to look like a hedge fund manager when he actually was not, um, and a billionaire when actually his money was all coming from somewhere else. Um, Elon Musk is really similar in that sense. So I think people should um, keep that in mind. And he's definitely, you know, I mean, the guy wants to put a chip in your brain. And so does Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel also, Thiel Capital, where Eric Weinstein is managing director, um, has investments in a company that just acquired brain control, uh, you know, brain machine interface companies. Um, you know, what do you think they're going to do? I mean, it's just. It's all very creepy. Whirling yeah. stuff is like. They'll be like, you're, you're just the Luddites, like the next evolution of humanity. We're going to. No, no, fuck off. Uh, if anyone wants to know what the real deal is with 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 that stuff, you need to go watch um, this guy that the that Mark Zuckerberg and Barack Obama and Klaus Schwab all love. His name is Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, this guy gave the keynote speech at the 2020 Davos. Um, and basically what he says is that once um, a government gets you to wear wearables, or gets electronics inside your body, it is now uh, the era of, his words, digital dictatorships, I love where it. governments will surveil your thoughts uh, about the great leader and all of this stuff. 
um, and send you to the gulag the next morning, even if you look like you're clapping, if you are secretly angry inside. Um, I mean, that's a direct quote from his speech, basically. I mean, it's it's not. So go and watch that shit. You'll know what the game what the game plan is. It's really wild. So this is not. This is, I mean, they, they frame this stuff for years too. A lot of that technology actually started with DARPA, not with Elon Musk. And now Elon Musk is a military contractor. It all comes full circle. Um, how weird. So it was all about getting, you know, disabled people, paralyzed people to be able to walk again, blind people to be being able to see again. But if that's the case, you know, why are they, com you know, commercializing it for uh, mass use? Why does Elon Musk advertise the fact that he put one in a monkey's brain and forces it to play video games yeah. for hours on ends? And what is obviously like horrendous animal abuse, um, you know, um, it, it's not about that that is how they start to sell it to you so you don't get freaked out when they start to introduce the technology but that's not what the end game of the technology is for and actually an interview surfaced not that long ago of klaus schwab he's saying it in french talking about how uh by 2030 people will have like brain chips and stuff and that'll be normal um no thanks resist the pod resist the bugs resist the chip freaks it's uh it's all very creepy um whitney I know you you have to get on with your day uh but before we wrap up what advice would you give bitcoiners uh in advice in the context of this group of people coming to attack bitcoin and replace it with something that would push us into a digital panopticon all right so i think it's 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 possible at some point that they might try and pit, put bitcoiners and lump them in with this whole war of domestic terror they're building so they're saying now they've been trying to conflate QAnon, which is their domestic terror threat par excellence right they're trying to they, they they've already been conflating QAnon with uh anti-vaxxers by the way the anti-vaxxer definition has now been changed so that anyone that opposes vaccine mandates is now an anti-vaxxer, right. uh, which is not what an anti-vaxxer is. So they're obviously moving the goalposts. <clears throat> um, and um, I think, you know, as this effort comes to regulate and criminalize uh, Bitcoin and in any other sort of uh, anonymous, um, decentralized um you know, uh, financial transactions, uh, the groups that they're not able to bring to heel right away with the stuff they introduce out the gate, they'll, they, they may try and lump in with that too, because it's basically the, the war on domestic terror is an all-purpose way to go after anyone that is dissenting and resisting the system. They don't want anyone to really be able to exist outside the system. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things coming down the line. There's likely going to be power outages. At some point, these cyber attacks are going to target critical infrastructure They've been really open about that. Um, definitely don't use exchanges, man. I mean, the first thing they're going to do is go after Coinbase um, and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know. That's uh, hey, Get your coins off the exchanges, freaks. That's what we, we preach here all the time. Yeah, that's they're, they're going to yeah, try. Totally. It's going to have to be like you, you run it yourself or it's not yours. I mean, that's basically uh, it's time to set that up if you haven't already. Uh, that's for sure. Whitney has a BTP, uh, BTC pay server set up. If you guys, I do. If you guys are liking her journalism, please go support that. Is that an unlimited hangout on the donation? Yeah, tab? unlimited hangout. And you just go to the support us tab and, and it'll pop up. And uh, I've been uh, sick for a while. Uh, so content's been a little low, um, but I'll be uh, hopefully getting back 
uh, to something normal in the coming week. So next week I have a big piece coming out about um, Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein, how Bill Gates is uh, a total liar and so is Melinda about the Epstein ties. Uh, Bill Gates and Epstein met long before 2011. Um, anything else is uh, ludicrous. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. So there's a huge, um, I, I kind of need to get that out before that narrative cements. And then uh, my follow-up um, to my first report about the, the Weff Carnegie thing we started off talking about with the financial cyber attacks, the follow-up piece to that, that's going to be about the um, the FSISAC report in the World Economic Forum Partnership Against Cybercrime and what that could mean for Bitcoiners and all of that stuff. Um, I have that half written, but I had to leave it because I, like I said, I, I got kind of ill. So um, I'll hopefully have that out in the next, uh, probably sometime this month. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for all the work you do. Thank you for coming on. Are you liking your BTC pay server? Is it a... Uh... Oh, it's wonderful. And so is the person that set it up if they're watching right now. <laughs> <laughs> he is incredible. He's helping me right now, too, actually. But uh, right. yeah, so where we can find you unlimited hangout. Where else? Can yeah, we um, I'm still on Twitter, but I'm probably going to be kicked off because who knows how long that shit's going to last. So um, I would recommend following me on Telegram as well. A lot of people seem to be moving there. Unlimited Hangout has a has a channel. You can follow follow my work um, that way. I also have um, a um, my podcast and in any video stuff I do um, goes on rockfin.com, which is sort of crypto related um, in, in a sense. Well, it pays out in crypto. So well, we, I need mean, to, we need to get you set up on the Sphinx chat um, in podcasting 2.0, which is run by Adam Curry, who started podcasting. Um, and so he's building a decentralized. He's trying to preserve mm -hmm. decentralized open nature of podcasting, and he's actually integrating it with Bitcoin. So when people listen to this podcast on podcasting 2.0 compatible apps they'll be streaming me bitcoin as they listen so you can see here oh groovy somebody's listening to i'll show you off air i don't want to put this on I'll, <laughs> I'll, yeah I'll, yeah no worries so we can yeah set you up but so anyway you can be uh, your, your podcast content can be monetized immediately as people are listening to you if they want to support you well cool yeah because i got kicked off of patreon because of what i was writing about they didn't like it so um a lot of people in independent media really don't really have a choice but to use crypto at this point because everything else um they have come after um so um if you can support my work uh that way or on rockfin like i mentioned or maybe i'll get set up on this new one that'd be cool too you know it all it all helps for sure um, you know, things are crazy. I just had to move across the planet. Um, <laughs> I have a three and a half year old and another one on the way. I mean, it's pretty, um, you know, any support can help. Um, if I, you know, if I hadn't set up Rockfin as a, as a backup to Patreon, I would have been totally screwed for real. I would have been out of the game. So, and I'm not the only one like that. I really want to stress that. Um, uh, Ryan Christian from the last American vagabond also kicked off of Patreon. So it was James Corbett of the Corbett report, um, all for no real reason. Um, just, you know, blanket censorship and total bullshit. So, um, definitely consider supporting those people as well. And any other independent person, they're really putting pressure on our, uh, income as a way to silence us instead of just censoring us on the big platforms. Um, they're definitely, uh, trying to stick it to us. That's for sure, but not going to work because fuck them. All right. Well, we're mm -hmm. building these distributed systems that they can't touch. So, um, like that's, we are, we're going to help build the, the media stack that, that they can't touch, um, Bitcoin being a part of that stack. So Whitney, again, thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for joining me again coming on my my weird bitcoin podcast i uh i love i like it i'm sorry i'm not more 
uh, mentally here. Like I said, I've, I've been a little uh, sick. So considering uh, considering your sickness, you you were you were mentally uh, on point. You're very <laughs> all right. Groovy makes me feel better. Thanks. All right. and thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. That's all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love.